It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 419 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called LOL FTC. It is July 14, 2023, and this is Jen. I've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to start with the whole Microsoft versus Federal Trade Commission, or maybe that's reverse order, but that, you know, lawsuit you've probably seen a lot of articles about online if you if you do that that way or maybe you don't care but this is what happened so we've got the readout basically the whole thing here from the court after the decision was made and i'll get to that too so it's the united states district court northern district of california federal trade commission is the plaintiff and microsoft corporation is the defendants and it's pretty long in here i'll read you a little bit there's a hell of a lot of stuff that's been completely redacted with black marker or black something that you cannot see through so there's not a whole lot that I can talk about in here because I can't see it and neither can anyone else. So that's what this is. Here's a little bit from this. And this is probably coming coming from Federal Trade Commission. And I don't know what the date on this is. Let's see. It was filed July 10th, 2023. So I'll just read you a little bit of this. This is the plaintiff's view, I think, so that would be the FTC. In December 2022, the FTC initiated an administrative action to block Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision, publisher of the first-person shooter video game franchise Call of Duty, among other popular video games. The gist of the FTC's complaint is Call of Duty is so popular and such an important supply for any video game platform that the combined firm is probably going to foreclose it from its rivals for its own economic benefit to consumers detriment discovery in the administrative action has closed and trial before an ftc judge is scheduled to commence on august 2nd 2023 now that's not the same as the courts that's the ftc's inner judge you know who's probably going to say you were right you know (laughs) that kind of thing I don't know. Uh, Four weeks ago, the FTC filed this action to preliminarily enjoin the merger pending completion of the FTC administrative action. Because the merger has a July 18 termination date, expedited proceedings were commenced. After considering the party's voluminous pre- and post-hearing writing hearing writing submissions and having held a five-day evidentiary hearing, the court denies the motion for preliminary injunction. The FTC has not shown it is likely to succeed on its assertion the combined firm will probably pull Call of Duty from Sony PlayStation or that its ownership of Activision content will substantially lessen competition in the video game library subscription and cloud gaming markets. There's a little bit in here I can talk about, but there's a whole lot, like I said, that is just flat out crossed off that I guess at some point will be known. I'm not sure. So here's a little bit more, and I'll skip the things that you probably already know, or the tedious court-speak stuff that you probably don't need. So the background starts with this. The video gaming industry represents the fastest-growing form of media and entertainment with revenues larger than the film, music, and print industries. The industry consists of several components. The 3 billion worldwide gamers, the video game developers who created the games, the video game publishers who release the games, and the companies that make the devices on which the gamers play the games. This is a little redundancy in sentence structure here. The action involves a merger between Activision, the developer of the Call of Duty video game franchise, and Microsoft, a game developer, publisher, and the manufacturer of the Xbox game console. And then it's talking about how much money these things make, and there's a bit about a gaming subscription service. The Game Pass says something about that, talks about Xbox, Xbox Cloud Gaming. Uh, Microsoft publishes video games through Xbox Game Studios, comprising 23 game development studios, including nine studios that were included in Microsoft's acquisition of ZeniMax Media Inc., announced in September 2020 and finalized in March 2021. 
Activision, a publicly traded corporation, earned $7.5 billion in revenue in 2022. Quote, Activision develops and publishes video games for consoles, PCs, and mobile devices. Microsoft often refers to Activision along with EA, Electronic Arts, Take-Two Interactive Software Inc., and Ubisoft as one of the big four independent video game publishers. Quote, Activision's most successful video game franchise is Call of Duty, a first-person shooter video game series played on video game consoles and PCs. Quote, Activision also produces other popular video games for consoles, including games from the Diablo, Overwatch, Crash Bandicoot, and Tony Hawk franchises, as well as video games for other devices, including games from the Candy Crush for mobile devices and Warcraft for PC franchises. Okay, so here we go with a little bit more. The proposed merger. On January 18, 2022, Microsoft announced an agreement to acquire Activision for $68.7 billion, one of the largest, if not the largest, tech industry mergers. The agreement provides, among other things, either party may terminate the merger agreement if the transaction has not closed by July 18, 2023. If the agreement is terminated because it has not closed, Microsoft will have to pay Activision a $3 billion termination fee. Following the merger, Activision Blizzard will continue as the surviving corporation of the merger and a subsidiary of parent Microsoft. At, uh, and there's a little bit more in there. Uh, the video game industry, I think if you're listening to this, you have some idea about the video game industry. Uh, gaming platforms, video games are available to play across a wide range of platforms, including mobile, PC, and console. Goes on from here. Games can be played on general purpose PCs or gaming PCs, but gaming PCs typically have more advanced hardware to allow them to play more computationally demanding games. Conversely, games played on mobile have lower graphics and are less sophisticated than games played on consoles or gaming PCs. I'm not sure who they were trying to aim this at when they wrote this here. There's a thing about console gaming that is entirely blocked out with the exception of two paragraphs that really don't relate to anything. They're talking about mobile gaming, PC gaming with a bunch of stuff crossed out, cross-platform play. This was the thing. This was kind of a thing. But you know what cross-platform play is. That means if I'm playing Diablo 4 on my Xbox and one of my friends who also plays Diablo 4 on their computer wants to play the game with me, we can. We did it. We have to find time again for it, but we've done that. It's possible. That's what cross-platform gaming is. Just to summarize this, there's always too many words in court documents, in my opinion. Just too many words. So they're talking about cross-platform play, I just said. Gaming content, I think everybody knows what gaming content is if you're listening to this. Triple A content, yeah, kind of the same. Most of that's redacted too. And then there's exclusive content and most of that's redacted as well. Activision content is a paragraph that is entirely redacted and we have no idea what that says. Then it says Call of Duty. The Call of Duty games are first-person shooter games based on military conflict through history. And then it gets blacked out. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Other Activision content. Candy Crush. That's a thing. I played like a Candy Crush one with a storyline way back in the day and then kind of forgot about it for a while. So maybe I'll try again. Access to gaming content. This is a thing. With multi-game subscription offerings, gamers play a flat monthly fee to access a library of games. In the case of most subscription offerings, subscribers download the games they want to play to their devices, just as they would a buy-to-play game, and then play them using those devices. With some services, gamers can stream games while waiting for the game to download or try out a game before downloading. In 2017, Xbox launched Game Pass, one of the first multi-game subscription offerings. Subscribers can access a broad catalog of games for a set monthly fee of $9.99 or $14.99 for the Game Pass Ultimate tier instead of purchasing the games outright for $70 per game. To make Game Pass more attractive, Xbox includes all games developed by its studios, first-party games, in Game Pass, the day of release, day and date. Aside from Game Pass, Microsoft also offers Xbox Live Gold, which provides subscribers with access to online multiplayer games and a limited selection of downloadable games each month, among other benefits, such as audio and visual communications and certain discounts. Xbox Live Gold does not provide subscribers with access to the vast library of game subscribers of Xbox Game Pass for PC or console and Game Pass Ultimate Receive whole bunch of redactions from that point on. It's kind of choppy when they have to block out a lot of these things, so I don't really know who wanted the blockouts or why. 
They talk a little bit about the cloud gaming subscription services, which I think we kind of know what that is and how it works and this sort of thing. I'll read you a paragraph, which has a redaction underneath it. In 2020, Microsoft added cloud gaming to its top tier multi-game content library subscription service offering Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Xbox Cloud Gaming, also referred to as xCloud, enables Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers to stream certain games. I think we just heard this a little bit. There's some redactions here. There's more redactions later on, and it goes from there. There's a whole procedural history, which I think if you've been listening to this show since the start of these shenanigans, you've probably heard most of them by now. If not, you can check them out at ChatteredSoulStone.com, and you'll also see the show notes for this episode there whenever I get done talking about it. Um, so this goes on and on and on and on and on and on. There's a lot in here. Um, and so here we have, and I'm not even sure who wrote this exactly, but there's a, a part down here that's called, that's called the FTC's theory. Quote, the primary vice of a vertical merger or other arrangement trying, tying a customer to a supplier that is that by foreclosing the competitors of either party from a segment of the market otherwise open to them, the arrangement may act as a clog on competition, which deprives rivals of a fair opportunity to compete. There's a link to a court case about that. The FTC insists the combined firm may deprive rivals, primarily Sony, of a fair opportunity to compete in the above-defined markets by foreclosing an essential supply, Call of Duty. In other words, Call of Duty is so popular and has such a loyal and dedicated following, competition will be substantially lessened in the console, content library subscription, and cloud gaming markets unless Microsoft's rivals have at least equal access to this particular video game. The FTC argues it can establish this potential anti-competitive effect of the merger through two alternatives but overlapping tests. And this goes on from here of the FTC trying to explain itself to the judge. On July 11th, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, wrote this on Twitter. We're grateful to the court for swiftly deciding in our favor. The evidence showed the Activision Blizzard deal is good for the industry and the FTC's claims about console switching, multi-game subscription services, and cloud don't reflect the realities of the gaming market. He continues with, since we first announced this deal, our commitment to bringing more games to more people on more devices has only grown. We've signed multiple agreements to make Activision Blizzard's games, Xbox First Party games, and Game Pass all available to more players than they are today. We know that players around the world have been watching this case closely, and I'm proud of our efforts to expand player access and choice throughout this journey. And then he writes end on that so that people don't go looking for more because there is no more. CNBC on July 11th uh, wrote, Microsoft Activision deal moves closer as judge, judge denies FTC injunction request. That's what I think that lawsuit piece there was from the FTC. So this is written by Jordan Novit on July 11 of this year. I'll read you a piece from this. A federal judge in San Francisco has denied the Federal Trade Commission's motion for a preliminary injunction to stop Microsoft from completing its acquisition of video game publisher Activision Blizzard. The deal isn't completely in the clear, though. The FTC can now bring the decision to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, and the two companies must find a way forward to resolve opposition from the Competition and Markets Authority in the United Kingdom. Quote, This court's responsibility in this case is narrow. It is to decide if notwithstanding, that's a word, notwithstanding these current circumstances, the merger should be halted, perhaps even terminated, pending resolution of the FTC administrative action, Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley wrote in her decision, published Tuesday. For the reasons explained, the court finds the FTC has not shown a likelihood it will prevail on its claim this particular vertical merger in this specific industry may substantially lessen competition. To the contrary, the record evidence points to more consumer access to Call of Duty and other Activision content. The motion for a preliminary injunction is therefore denied. So I'm going to move on to the next one. This is written on Maxroll by Dread Scythe, who knows what he's doing. Everything I read about that Dread Scythe writes is really good. Sometimes um, in previous stuff that had to do with little pieces of 
Diablo 3 or something. Um, it was over my head, but I could tell it was still useful to people. But this one he wrote on July 11, well, updated on July 11, 2023. It's titled, Microsoft Allowed to Close Merger with Activision Blizzard! Exclamation point. So this is what Dred Scythe wrote. Just moments ago, a California judge ruled that Microsoft may proceed with its $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard ahead of the July 18th deadline. While not the true end of all the legal hurdles for Microsoft, the deal is now more a reality than ever. This ruling denies the FTC, Federal Trade Commission of the United States, request for a preliminary injunction to halt the deal. What it doesn't do is stop the FTC from pursuing its antitrust case. There is also the matter of the UK CMA, Competition and Markets Authority, ruling earlier this year blocking the deal. With the ruling today, we will have to see if this makes the CMA more open to negotiations as it would be the only holdout if the FTC were to truly lose its case. Just after the ruling came down, Brad Smith, Microsoft president, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, and Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard, uh, with the following statements. And these seem to be like tweets or screenshots of what they wanted to say because sometimes people just do that. So Brad Smith, Microsoft president, wrote this. We are grateful to the court in San Francisco for this quick and thorough decision and hope other jurisdictions will continue working towards a timely resolution. As we've demonstrated consistently throughout this process, we are committed to working creatively and collaboratively to address regulatory concerns. There's a quote from the Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard. Our merger will benefit consumers and workers. It will enable competition rather than allow entrenched market leaders to continue to dominate our rapidly growing industry. Implications. I'll read you a little bit of this. Actually, I'd be reading you the whole thing then. So you can come and look at the implications on MaxRoll, and I'll have the link in the show notes. IGN wrote an article titled, FTC versus Microsoft Judge Does, in fact, Think... The Switch complete, competes with Xbox slash PlayStation. The FTC has argued that the Nintendo Switch is not part of the relevant market. Written by Alex Stedman. Here's a little bit from this. Microsoft has officially come out on top of its trial with the FTC, and the judge in the case disagrees with one of the FTC's big sticking points, that the Nintendo Switch isn't a true competitor to the current generation of Xbox slash PlayStation consoles. Even though much of the focus was on Sony and obviously Xbox, Nintendo was dragged into the fight in, a in day two of the trial, with the FTC arguing that the Switch is very different than the current gen Xbox and PlayStation consoles. As today's ruling put it, the FTC, quote, insists the Nintendo Switch's pricing, performance, and content make it an improper substitute, at least for purposes of its preliminary injunction motion. Xbox head Phil Spencer, however, said in court that it was incorrect to say that Nintendo isn't a competitor, and Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley agrees with him. While acknowledging that the Series X and PlayStation 5 are both a couple of hundred dollars more expensive than the Switch, the ruling caveats... Caveats? The ruling caveats, I don't know this word. The ruling says that Xbox set the price of its entry-level Series S to compete with the Switch. It points to quotes from Xbox CFO Tim Stewart, who said in the trial that the company considered the Switch when setting the price of the Series S. Yeah, the court acknowledges there are obvious content differences between the Switch and the PlayStation, but adds that many of the most popular PlayStation and Xbox games are also available on the Switch, citing Fortnite, Minecraft, Rocket League, Lego, Star Wars, Fall Guys, the FIFA, MLB The Show. Then we have Tom Warren, who is the senior editor at The Verge, and he wrote this on Twitter on July 11th. So what happens next with Microsoft's proposed Activision Blizzard deal? the FTC has to make a decision whether to appeal by Friday night. If it walks away as it normally does, then Microsoft is free to close once the CMA negotiation is complete. Otherwise, it's up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to decide whether it will halt the deal. He continues, I think the focus is on the CMA right now, though. Microsoft and Activision have agreed with the CMA to pause the appeal in the UK and try to work out some changes to its deal that will appease UK regulators. I'd expect CAT agrees and we'll see a cloud gaming remedy in the UK here, allowing the CMA to get a result like the EU did and for Microsoft to finalize and close 
close the deal. It's all going to move pretty quickly now as the deal deadline of July 18th approaches. We'll bring you the latest as we get it. And then Mike Kubara, who goes by at QuickQWIK on Twitter, wrote, What a great day to start a Tuesday, without really kind of connecting that to anything else whatsoever. Uh, Game Informer says, well, they have a headline here. Microsoft says it will pause its appeal efforts against the UK regulator over Activision acquisition to negotiate. This was written on July 11th by Wesley LeBlanc. Here's a little piece of this. Today, a California judge denied the U.S. Federal Trade Commission's request for a preliminary injunction in its case to block Microsoft and Xbox from acquiring Activision Blizzard. Now, shortly after the ruling, Microsoft has announced it will pause its appeal against the Competition and Markets Authority in the UK so that it and the CMA can negotiate. Back in April, the UK regulatory body blocked Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard over cloud gaming concerns. With a July 18 deadline for the acquisition, Microsoft theoretically needs to either mark the UK out of its market as it relates to this purchase or negotiate a deal with the CMA to quell the regulator's concerns. Microsoft was previously set to appear in court to appeal the CMA's block on July 28. According to Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith, that won't be happening now as the two parties will instead to attempt to negotiate a deal that satisfies both. This is from Brad Smith. Our statement on the mutual request with the CMA for a pause in our appeal of the UK. After today's court decision in the U.S., our focus now turns back to the U.K. While we ultimately disagree with the CMA's concerns, we are considering how the transaction might be modified in order to address those concerns in a way that is acceptable to the CMA. In order to prioritize work on these proposals, Microsoft and Activision have agreed with the CMA that a stay of the litigation in the UK would be in the public interest and the parties have made a joint submission to the Competition Appeal Tribunal to this effect. And then there's a little more in here. It's important to note that the Competition Appeal Tribunal still needs to either approve or deny this request, as noted by The Verge, but the, the former seems incredibly likely. In a statement received by The Verge, the CMA said it is ready to consider any proposals from Microsoft to restructure the transaction in a way that would address the concerns set in our final report, likely alluding to its concerns over cloud gaming, concerns that Microsoft disagrees with. So there's that one. Kotaku has one. Only one thing stands in the way of Microsoft's Activision takeover, and it is an update to whatever was written first. It was updated yesterday. It says it all comes down to Game Pass cloud gaming concerns in the UK. This is written by Ethan Gatch. Here's a little bit from this one. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip some stuff here because it's kind of samey for a while. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, blocked the deal earlier this year over concerns that it would lead Microsoft to dominate the growing market for cloud gaming subscription services. The companies immediately appealed, and now both sides have reopened negotiations on potential remedies to assuage regulators' antitrust concerns following the FTC's recent failure to get a district judge to approve a preliminary injunction. That decision in the U.S seems to have fast-tracked a resolution for the UK as well. Quote, whilst merging parties don't have the opportunity to put forward new remedies once a final report has been issued, they can choose to restructure a deal which can lead to a new merger investigation, the CMA said in a statement to The Verge. It continued, Microsoft and Activision have indicated that they are considering how the transaction might be modified, and the CMA is prepared to engage with them on this basis. The discussions remain at an early stage, and the nature and timing of next steps will be determined in due course. While both parties have requested a pause in Microsoft's appeal to allow these discussions to take place, the CMA decision set out its final report in its final report still stands. So it goes on from here a little bit. Um, there's an update talking about Bloomberg saying something, but you can look at that later. I do have the Verge thing here, and it does have little pieces of the court case thing that I read to you at the start of this. So I think I'm probably going to skip this one because I think I already have all the stuff there. Moving on to PlayStation, which I almost never talk about on this show because I don't have a PlayStation. So how would I know about these things? But they did do something really good. On July 13th, 2023, they have uh, essentially posted about a new controller that has accessibility built in. Um, and it says for Southeast Asia, a access controller for PS5 launches globally on December 6th. So I'm not really sure. Earlier today, it looked like it 
that first part wasn't in there. So there's a picture here of all the little pieces that can be pushed into a controller that looks like it has a large joystick, but not too large, like one you'd see on an arcade, like, you know, game from like the 80s if you went into one of those uh, arcades and you had like the little joystick thing to use, that kind of thing. But a bunch of, also a bunch of differently shaped pieces that you can connect to a flat controller that has numbers on it so you can identify where do I want this, you know, like there's a triangle and a circle, like where do you want that to be on your circular controller thing that is connected to this little little joystick kind of thing. So I think that's kind of neat. They titled this one Highly Customizable Accessibility Controller Kit Available to Pre-Order Starting on July 21. Written by Isabel Tomatis, Vice President, Brand, Hardware and Peripheral SIE. SIE is Sony Interactive, something like that. For the past five years, we've been on a journey with accessibility organizations and experts to create a versatile controller kit that enables gamers with disabilities to play more comfortably and for longer periods, empowering more players to share in the joy of gaming. Today, I'm thrilled, she says, to announce that the Access Controller for PS5 will be available globally on December 6, with pre-orders kicking off on Friday, July 21. Available for a suggested retail price of um, and I can't read these. There's a bunch of numbers in here. The access controller lets you customize your layout with different button and stick caps in various shapes and designs. Operate the controller from any 360 orientation and control third-party, sorry, connect third-party accessibility accessories using its four industry standard 3.5 millimeter expansion ports. On your PS5 console, there's many things that you can do and there's like a video here to show you how all these little buttons can be configured or used or not used depending on what your needs are. There's also a list of things about the product specifications and contents that can tell you, you know, how big is this, how many buttons, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's little drawings of it. At the bottom it says pre-orders kick off on July 21 in select Southeast Asia countries. So that's going to be Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, and Vietnam. They will be able to pre-order from select retailers. For Singapore, the pre-order will happen at a later date. The access controller will launch globally on December 6th. So that's pretty cool. And I, I do not have a PlayStation. I have an Xbox S and I like it. It's fun. But I also have a neurological disease that really hurts my hands if I play for a while. So I tried out three different classes. The one that seems most accessible to me is the rogue. Doesn't mean I'm doing well. I got into act three um, probably early this morning and I don't hurt as much with this controller now because there is a thing in Diablo 4. So if you're listening to me and you have the same problem with your hands really hurting after playing the game for a while, uh, go into the accessibility settings in Diablo 4 and there's a box there that says something about targeting so that when you're ready to target your enemies, it will aim on the one it's pretty sure you want to hit. So in my case, what I was seeing was I would see, like the rogue has a long range with the crossbows, so I would see like a highlight pop up at the top of the screen saying Marauder and then whatever level he was, which should be my level and generally is. And I could shoot at that without moving and hit that one. But when the rest of the mob starts coming in, the game automatically targets one for you and then moves to the next one. So you'll see a whole bunch of the smaller groups of marauders with like the thing over the head that indicates they're vulnerable. And it's made me able to play the game a lot longer. So I'm happy that there's another... Uh, type of controller that people could use if they wanted to play Diablo 4 on PlayStation. They won't get it yet, probably, but eventually. And I think that's important. It's very important to consider people with, you know, disabilities that make it harder for them to do what most other people can just do. So I like that. There is now a forum, a BlizzCon 2023 Anaheim, California forum. There are some categories here. One is general discussion, a place to talk about all things BlizzCon. And the other one is BlizzCon 2023 meetups. Go here to plan meetups with your friends and guildmates at BlizzCon. And there are no topics in here, so I think this is brand new. So if you are going to BlizzCon, you might want to make use of this. It's at usforums.blizzard.com. I'll put this in the show notes as well. I think, if I remember correctly, I was thinking about going to, like, around BlizzCon, but maybe not actually go to BlizzCon because I also am immune-compromised. 
and I've decided overall that it's probably not going to be safe for me to go. So you will not be seeing me at BlizzCon. I'm sure there'll be a lot of other people you want to see there, but I, I just feel like I shouldn't be risking my health for this. So um, so there's that. But hey, if, if y'all want to go, I hope y'all have a really great time. I'm not worried or upset that I'm not going. Then there's this thing that I did not expect was going to happen. There is a company called Gunner, G-U-N-N-A-R. It does not appear to sell anything that has to do with guns, but it does have a, like, these are glasses you could wear, and they're red, so they're plastic, I think, and they're, they're red, they come in a fancy box, and they're called the um, Lilith Collector's Edition glasses so it's the frames and it's got the gunner logo at the top of one of the uh glasses you know like off to the top which i think it's really small lettering but i think it would take a while to get used to seeing that in your line of sight every time you wear these glasses i say as a person who wears glasses but yeah it's a limited edition there's only 66 pairs only one is allowed per person it says it's constructed with high quality blood onyx acetate frame material and handcrafted in the usa each pair of glasses is devilishly inscribed with its own individual number out of 66. And there's a close-up on the glasses where it says Gunner and then 00 of 66 on there. So that was probably the first one that came off the line. And, you know, there we are. So, and then it says it includes one collector's box, glasses, a glasses case, a microfiber cloth, and a pouch. And there's a couple of pictures of people wearing these glasses. They seem to be for men or women or whoever. Um, sometimes shapes get altered if it's like, this is the thing we want to make, but if it's for women, we're going to make it smaller. And it's just, you know, but they look pretty cool on these two people over here. And I have no idea how many have been sold yet, but I'm looking at this going, okay, I'm not sure what this costs. Okay. <laughs> I am not sure what this costs. There is like a subscription thing you can you can subscribe to to try to get one of those um i can't tell you what it costs i'm not going to click this button but this is apparently this another diablo thing that is not directly related to the diablo games my concern with this is okay let's say if i decided i needed new glasses frames and i really wanted these for some reason my question to gunner is how on earth will you know what my glasses subscription is do i have to take this into whichever eye doctor i go to to get that, you know, done in a way where I'll be able to see, you know, I mean, I'm just not sure. It's not sunglasses, so it's not that kind of thing. And it has like a black part around the top of the frames and the inside of the, um, the arms of the frame and then red throughout the rest. So if I were to get these, which I am not going to do, <laughs> um, I think for me, I wear glasses that are transparent. You know, they're like, you can see through them. The, the frames are transparent. This would be hard for me to adjust to, I think, because it's got different colors off the side and that little gunner thing on it. I'm like, I don't know. But if y'all are looking for new glasses and you're really into Lilith, I guess this is the thing for you. I just have no idea what it costs or how many are still there. So Echo Through Me, Echo Gaming was featured on the Battle.net uh, thing that Blizzard has, and he wrote a tweet with a screenshot of it, of himself in there. So he wrote on Twitter, I want to thank Blizzard Entertainment at Diablo Immortal for featuring me yesterday on Battle.net. And there's a little blood drop emoji. We are doing it again tonight, 6 to 10 p.m. EST. Blood Knight has been awesome, and I can't wait to jump back in tonight. See you there. And there's definitely a picture of him there, and it says Diablo Immortal, and it's got echo through me, you know, with his arms crossed and with a Diablo vest on and looking out at the viewer behind him is some stuff that I assume is part of the Diablo Immortal Blood Knight thing. And off to the side, it says under community, tune in to watch Echo Gaming conquer hellish horrors with the new Blood Knight class. Wowhead has an article called Earn the Awoken Cold Iron Armor Set with the Diablo 4 Seasonal Battle Pass. So it is um, a number of things. There's a tweet here from the Diablo account on Twitter. It says, gear up, wanderer, cold iron cosmetics, transmogs, emotes, headstones, and mount, and more available in the season of the Malignant Premium Battle Pass. 
So there's some pictures in here of what it looks like for probably different classes and stuff. It seems to have Lilith horns on a helm for whatever character this is. I don't know if that's a barbarian or not. I can't really tell. Um, but that's the helm that you get, and it's for whatever class this one is, in fact, Barbarian. I can see that now. There's a word over there. There's also the Awoken Warded Mustang and Awoken Cold Iron Barding that are part of the premium track, allowing players to complete their ensemble, because unless you and your mount are matching, you're not done yet. I do not have a mount yet. I'll figure it out sometime. Yeah, so the premium battle pass isn't just about the mount and armor sets. There's emotes, headstones, and weapon transmogs that are also joining the fray. So as far as the headstones, like, I die a lot in Diablo 4. I'm dying less now that I got that targeting thing going for people that have accessibility issues like I do, and it's gotten just so much better. I don't know why I didn't bother with that thing in the first place. You know, maybe I was just really excited to jump into the game and never looked back, but... I'm not sure I would need emotes. What would I use emotes for? Is that the thing in the circle where you can talk to people, sort of? I don't know. Um, the headstone thing, there's one here that looks like a headstone, and it's got a character that looks like they're on their knees and like something is draining their soul or something like that. So I guess if you die, you can get one of those. If you're doing the premium battle pass, which of course you're going to pay for, so yeah, you know, there's a little button over here, Season of the Malignant. Uh, season Journey, Chapter 1, 44%. Season Blessings, there's some dots here for whatever. And then it says Purchase Premium because you, you don't get that right off. You don't get that unless you pay for it. So just be aware of that because that's, that's how this goes. And then ITN has an article, Want to take a break from Diablo 4 and play something else? That's fine, Blizzard says. We do the same. This is written by Wesley Yin Pool. So I'll read you a little bit of that. Blizzard has told Diablo 4 players who have reached all their goals that it's fine to take a break from the game ahead of the launch of Season 1, dubbed Season of the Malignant, on July 20. Diablo 4 launched big early June, becoming Blizzard's fastest-selling game ever. Um, it's only been five weeks, but some players have already hit the level 100 in a permadeath hardcore character and are now repeatedly target farming in a bid to obtain loot that increases their power in ever-shrinking increments. There are even reports of players comp completing Tier 100 Nightmare Dungeons in hardcore mode, considered one of the hardest challenges currently in-game. During a recent live stream, as I skip ahead here, Diablo 4 Associate Game Director Joe Prepiora said... Blizzard staff take their own advice and pointed to the launch of the new seasons as a great time to return to the action role-playing game because they offer a fresh start to all. Quote, when you've reached all the goals and done the things you think are important and you want to take a break to play something else for a little while, that's fine, Prepiora said. We do the same thing. But when a season rolls and there are new things for you, for you to come out, that's a great time to come back, particularly if you had a good time playing before. That's exactly when you should come back and check out Diablo 4 Fresh. Looks like Icy Veins also wrote about six new uniques, seven legendary aspects that are coming to Diablo 4 before season one and there's a picture of all of these things some of them look like staff some of them look like shields some of them look like stuff for druids there's like axes and things and i'm not really sure what they all are adam fletcher got asked a question about the apexes and things like that and on twitter and embedded in this icy veins article is his response season will have 32 malignant hearts across four categories that is seasonal only starting 720 Six new unique items plus seven new legendary aspects will be for everyone along balance updates slash changes starting 718 with the update. We have from Max Roll a server sever, sorry, a sever necromancer endgame build written by Macro Bio Boy. We have um, a Berserk Hammer of the Ancients. H-O-T-A, Barbarian Build for Diablo 4 from Icy Veins, written by Lexu. Okay, this is another thing. This is not related to the seasons or anything like that. Wowhead wrote an article that said, Predator, in quotes, title removed Diablo 4. Okay, so that was one of those things, like, as your character grows, you get more and more little pieces of words that you can connect together, and it's like, pick one from this side, pick one from that side, and then that's your thing. I think two of my characters are running around as nocturnal creature right now because it amuses me to no end. But this is what's uh, happened. Uh, and I'll read you a little bit from Wowhead here. Some keen-eyed PvP enthusiasts on Reddit noted this morning, and this morning would have been six days ago, 
that a particular title was missing and further research revealed it was removed altogether. User Spaghetti on Tuesday revealed on Reddit that the Enemy of the Region achievement, which used to grant the titles Serial and Predator for killing 25 PvP kills, was now instead awarding Serial and Enemy. And there's a picture of it here where it's it's saying that instead, enemy of the region, enemy of sanctuary. Well, it may seem odd that this title was removed. The legal troubles that Activision Blizzard has faced and is attempting to rectify, it makes sense that a title which could be could potentially be combined in insensitive ways was removed and replaced. And then Reddit kind of took it from there, okay? So Spaghetti on Tuesday actually has, he's the start of this Reddit thread. I don't go on Reddit very often, but when I do, it's probably for Diablo stuff. And I don't t type anything there either. You will not find me there. I just look to see what people are saying because I can. So Spaghetti on Tuesday wrote, Blizzard has changed the title for 25 PvP kills from Predator to Enemies. A big screenshot of that there. And there are people that are really angry about this for reasons I don't entirely understand, but I can um, read you some of this stuff. I'm not going to read the whole thread because no way, you know? Uh, yeah, so someone said that the idea of changing that, like taking out Predator, uh, they didn't like it. And they wrote, why? Absolutely asinine. This oversensitivity really is getting boring as fuck now. And someone responded to that and said, I love all the fake outrage when 98% of players are incapable of thinking from themselves or being original and just use the trash title anyway, <laughs> which is, I mean, you know. You can use the trash title, it's fine. Someone says, I saw a whirlwind barb named Meat Spin the other day. I was entertained. Someone says, my Necro's title is Dirty Sinner. Perhaps they didn't want people with the title Dirty Predator, or perhaps there are other prefixes that would be even more gross in their opinion. Someone responds and says, my druid's title is Dirty Goat. I find it funny as hell. Like, these are pretty innocent, you know what I mean? They're not really bad. There's one in here that has an absolutely horrible name. I'm not going to say the person that wrote about that name is not the person with that name. It's just, no. Someone says, I just want more edgy, edgy title combinations. Nothing too crazy or reckless. Just some mild innuendos, not too spicy. The game is rated mature after all. I think that's fair, you know? Someone says, better not come after my, quote, local stalker. And then someone else says, see, that's why I've chosen potential stalker. I am stood behind you in Kiovashad because I'm stalking you or am I just AFK? Really builds the mystery. I think that's funny too, you know? <laughs> and there's just all this other stuff in here um, that some of it's funny. Some of it's like, okay, whoever wrote, whoever created a character and gave them that title is probably someone to avoid. Someone says, goodbye, Apex Predator. Someone says, I play hardcore and my title has been from the start and will stay to the end potential casualty. And then says that the censorship of stupid, quote, sensitive things is getting a bit over the top these days. LOL. Did it really award the parts Serial Predator before? Okay, I can see people not notice a bad combo possibility in the mix of all the separate pieces. But they literally put the phrase together and said, yeah, this is fine. And that's wild. And that's where I'm going to end that with. You can catch all the rest of that in the show notes if you want to. Some of them are funny as hell. Some of them are weird. You know, whatever you want to do. Icy Veins has an article written by Starums, S-T-A-R-Y-M. How much do Diablo 4 players spend re-rolling a single item? And that's a very good question because um, I I don't re-roll single items because I tend to run out of gold really fast because as I said before, I, you know, I just recently turned on the targeting thing for people with disabilities and um, I don't die as much now. So I'm kind of getting, you know, I'm okay with that, but I wouldn't re-roll it. Because most of my stuff, you know, gets broken and I'm like, okay, forget it. You know, that kind of thing. ARPG fans are certainly a persistent lot. Whether it's the chase for the uber uniques or just some really re regular, really good Aphexes and rolls, the Enchad system in Diablo 4 has been a bit of an issue for a lot of players and a big issue for everyone's gold reserves. Yes, yes, I relate to that. But just how far are players willing to take this Aphex re-rolling feature? We stumbled on a few threads 
where players talked about their most re-rolled items. Discussions were mostly focused on how much the biggest single re-roll was someone committed to, and there were plenty of responses, plenty of gold ranges players would be willing to go for. The baseline seems to be the very same 1 to 2 million per re-roll, which generally adds up to a few million total and is the most common, even at lower levels. The slightly higher rollers move up to the 5 to 10 million per roll amounts, which gets easier to handle at higher levels as well. The final group went above the $10 million mark. And this is just all in-game currency. You know, nobody's spending, like, their life savings on a Diablo Immortal thing to be the best of the best and then find that you didn't have anyone high enough to play with you. Remember that? Yeah, that's not what this is. This is just using the in-game currency that you get from doing things. It's pretty simple, but whatever. There is, a, kind of shifting gears, but kind of not, there is a book out called Diablo Legends of the Barbarian Bulkathos. Now, I am wondering if there will be more books with other barbarians, but we'll just have to wait and see. It is in hardcover for $17.96 on Amazon, and it has to do with, um, you know with Bulkathos. So I'm going to read you this little piece here. At the dawn of sanctuary, legends were born. And then it talks about don't miss getting this book. Long before Bulkathos became known as the father of barbarians, he was father to only two, his twin children, Nara and Hiram. Nara followed her father's path and became a great fighter, but the ways of their tribe never came naturally to Hiram. After years on walkabout, Hiram returns to his family, having discovered a new way and a new power he seeks to claim with his father's help. From the Diablo development team and storied author-artist duo John Arcudi and Geraldo Borges comes an unforgettable, stunningly illustrated tale. Legends of the Barbarian Bulkathos is at once the myth of a mighty king whose name was forged in battle and the tragedy of a father who bears a heavy crown. I kind of want this book. It doesn't have to be right now because I have like a ton of books I haven't read yet, but I think it's interesting. I think the artwork on the front looks really good. And if you like stories about, you know, Diablo stuff, this might be a good one for you. Wowhead has an article called World of First Tier 100 Hardcore Nightmare Dungeon Conquered. Diablo 4, written by uh, Oxide, O-X-I-D-3. Okay, so as we get closer to the Season 1 start, we're starting to see players tackle tough achievements to stake their claim in Diablo 4 history. Yesterday, Alalon and Reese, R-I-I-S-E, or Rise maybe it is, uh, completed the world's first reported Tier 100 Nightmare Dungeon on Hardcore, and there's a tweet about this here. Uh, sanctuary goers are aware of how tough the difficulty of these nightmare dungeons get with the higher tier levels. We would like to extend a huge congratulations to Al 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 Nan and Reese or Rise to for this significant achievement and for being the first reported grand masters on the hardcore realm. That's pretty interesting right there. Not something I'm gonna do, but if they want to do it, they seem to have done it and, and good for them, you know. Icy Veins has a thing called, it's an article called Awesome Legendary Aspect Tracking Comparison and Logging Tool written by Starum. And there's a useful tool that's linked to somewhere else uh, for keeping track of the many, many legendary aspects we have found. So it's something called GravelForceMadeD4Aspects.com, which you can use as your backup stash. Really? <laughs> Is the game going to allow that? I'll read the rest of this paragraph anyway. Except this one has a whole lot more functionality. You can search all existing aspects by class, item slot, codex, or non-codex, and then mark the ones you have, what their stats are, whether they are extracted, and more. And you can also have multiples of the same one marked. So there's like a bunch of different like axes or whatever in here, and then you can mark the ones that you've already got, and then you'll know what you need to get still. Apparently this thing is very simple to use, has plenty of filters and saves your entries within the same browser locally only. It may require a bit of a time commitment to set up initially as you add all your stuff in, but it's definitely going to pay off in the long run and save you plenty of time. Uh, just remember to click the limit to own to toggle when looking for things you already added. It still has some kinks to work out like marking aspects with multiple number ranges, but that's still a relatively minor issue. Now, my concern about this, having not used it and not knowing much about it other than what I just read to you is sometimes Activision and or Blizzard may see things like this as a cheat mode, even though it's probably not. It's just like, you know, hey, I have one of these. Okay, this is my way of keeping track of them. Um, but it's not something that Blizzard created. So I, I could see the value in this, 
because you have so many items and you just want to make sure which what which one has this effects on it which one has that do i have this one yet you know that kind of thing i get it but just be careful because blizzard's not necessarily going to be okay with things that are third party unless whoever's working on this is part of blizzard in my opinion so just be careful i get that it's got a reason you know i get that it's probably helpful but just maybe don't do it if you're not sure you know, because people can get banned for using stuff that they think is not okay. And I don't know where that one sits. Those of you that have played a whole lot of Diablo 3, as have I, and have done a lot of seasons in it, you may remember the season, the, the rebirth thing, seasonal rebirth you can do. And you have, um, you know, a character that you've already made or maybe you used last season and you want to go into the new season in Diablo 3. So you take your character and you season rebirth them and they're back at level one and can do all of the things again and get all the loot and whatever other stuff. Wowhead is talking about a rebirth feature potentially coming to Diablo 4, written by Jez Artros six days ago. And it's, yeah, uh, Diablo 3 featured the mechanic called rebirth, and I just kind of explained that. Diablo 4 currently has no such feature, but potentially not for long. Diablo community lead Adam Fletcher, that's Pez Radar, weighed in on the possibility of rebirth for Diablo 4 on Twitter. Someone asked him, I doubt you'll see this, but wanted to ask anyways, will Season 1 have the Rebirth feature that Diablo 3 had? Also, why is there no way to tell a character slash played or just a general how much time you've played? Looking forward to Season 1. So Pez Radar responded, Rebirth isn't a feature in D4 yet, but we're, we've heard this a bunch, so the team is aware. So that's good to know. What this tells me is that you're not going to be able to Rebirth a character. You're going to have to make a brand new character for Season 1. If I get there, I'll try. It is my understanding that originally it was you have to go through the entire storyline, but then I saw something that said you don't have to go through the whole storyline, and I'm in Act 3 just barely, so we'll see what happens. If I can get in, I'll get in. If I can't, I'll wait till next season. Forbes has an article titled, Here's the Highest Diablo 4 Damage Class and Build Pre-Season 1 Launch, written by Paul Tassie, and there is a screenshot with, like, a huge number of whatever they just killed there. Like that how much that's how much they hit them for, I suppose. <laughs> so here's a little bit from this. While occasionally things spiral out of control in Diablo 4, like a damage glitch that was briefly letting barbarians do anywhere from 25 to 300 billion damage before it was patched, there are still ways to crank up your numbers probably tenfold from what you're doing now, even in the end game. Yesterday, and this was written on, let's see what it is, was July 9th, so not yesterday, a YouTuber, Moxie, posted a video first showing him doing nearly 1 billion damage and then later 1.8 billion damage in a single hit, which I believe is the highest non-barbarian glitch damage we've seen, says the writer of this article on Forbes. I have seen him use build crafting and math to do things like one-shot bosses on the highest difficulty levels of every game he plays. Diablo 4 is no exception. There is a video in embedded in this article if you want to see that it's kind of interesting it's not something i would do but i'm always impressed with people that can do more in a game than i can um let's see i think did i talk about dread scythe's article already i think so oh i did with a merger that they were doing but this is something else entirely so this is season of the malignant theme breakdown updated july 13th which was yesterday written by dread scythe so i'll read you some of this Welcome to our Season of the Malignant theme breakdown post. With Diablo 4's first season just around the corner, we wanted to give you a quick rundown on what to expect. While this post will contain all that we know at this point, expect a full guide on our Diablo 4 branch once the season goes live. With that, let's dive into the corruption. Season theme and story. An ex-priest of the Cathedral of Light, Cormund, is our guide through the season. He warns us about the malignant corruption taking over wildlife, demons, and humans alike. He pleads, pleads for our aid as, we may, as he may be biting off more than he can chew. With a seasoned character, we meet him in Kiovashad almost right away to start our journey to cleanse the corruption. Here's the season mechanics. The main mechanic is seeking out malignant monsters, corrupted elites in the world. Once found, you kill them and steal their heart to sock it into your jewelry, amulet, and rings for powerful buffs. Neat! Exclamation point. Early in the season quest line, the player receives the Cage of Binding, which is key later on. At this point, you go around the world looking for these malignant monsters. Once you find one, the magic starts to happen. There's a video of how the uh, acquiring a caged heart goes. It's on YouTube. 
Uh, here's the steps. Find a malignant monster. Remember, they will only be elites. Kill it to drop its malignant heart. Perform the ritual using your cage of binding. This gathers all of the malignants and spawns a more difficult version of that elite with support minions. Kill the new elite and collect the cage heart that drops. There's different kinds. There's 32 different caged hearts that the player can find. They have different powers and that sort of thing. I recommend you look at this to get all of the details. I'm just kind of skimming through it because, you know, I want to point you towards the creativity of these people that write things like this. There's a malignant item crafting. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. I'm sure I could read this, but there's that. And there's also malignant tunnel farming. What is that? Malignant tunnels, as stated above, are special places out in the world where you can hunt down malignant monsters. While boasting a higher spawn rate of malignant monsters, you can also target a farm, target farm, target farm like one word uh it's actually two words but that's my brain figured it out um a specific heart type by completing the invoke the malignant event and then there's just the description here of how you go about doing that there's a new boss battle which i'll leave you to find and that's it they're gonna have more i assume once the season starts icy veins has an article titled dead hardcore characters progress will not transfer on july 20 written by staff at icy veins if you have a level 100 hardcore character, you should try keeping it alive because dead characters won't carry over after any altar slash map fog of war credit when season one launches on July 20. Let's say you have a level 100 character who has collected everything and cleared the whole map. The character dies and you stop playing until season one. Since you cannot log into the character that has everything, no credit will carry over to your hardcore seasonal character. This was also confirmed by associate game director on Diablo 4, Joe Priapora on Twitter. Someone asked him, Quick question, and I know you've probably had a bunch since the dev stream. Since I play hardcore, what happens to all the progress I made with altars and maps if my tune dies before the 18th? And Joseph Priapora says you won't get credit if you can't log into the character after the patch drops. Take special care in the days ahead. And this is one of the reasons why I don't want to play hardcore um, in Diablo 4. I did it for a while in Diablo 3, but, you know, it is what it is, right? Some people just want to go hardcore right away. There's a Max Roll article, or, well, I guess it's a guide, and it's titled How to Prepare for Season 1, uh, last updated July 10th by Ten Tenki. I don't know how to pronounce this, T-E-N-K-I-E-I. -E -I. Um, so here's a bunch, I'm just going to read you the, the main parts here, and you can like get the details when you, when you find this page. Again, it'll be in the show notes at ChatterSoulStone.com. So um, it starts, the season starts July 20th. You have to do a few things to prepare for season one. Seasons are a fresh start experience where you play a new character to complete the season journey and experience the seasonal theme. For season one, you'll find and kill malignant enemies, which I just talked about a little while ago. The preseason patch arrives on July 18 and brings balance changes, uniques, and legendary aspects and renown propagating to your entire account. This means you need to log into your characters, but between the 18th and 20th in order to transfer your renown progress before the season starts. After you do, your Altars of Lilith and Areas Discovered progression carries over to seasonal characters. If you've done everything on one character, log into that one. If your progression is split across several characters, log into all of them. So you can do, there's another thing in here. Uh, during the recent live stream, the developers revealed Cormund, which we just talked about. To participate in seasonal content, you need to complete the campaign. Prepare by completing the campaign on any character, softcore or hardcore, before the 20th of July. If you need a build, you can come here to Maxwell and look. They'll show you some you might want. There's also a button if you don't want to make a seasonal character. There's a... Um, to participate, you'll still need to make a seasonal character, but when you do, you can select Skip Campaign. This way you can aid Cormund and collect malignant hearts from level 1. Don't forget to use your horse to get around faster. I don't have a horse yet, but that's okay. Maybe I'll get one. But I didn't know about this. Like, I thought it was, I gotta go through all four acts before I'm gonna be able to get to season one, and I don't know how I'm gonna make that happen. But now, you can skip the campaign and make a seasonal character. So that's... That's better. That's going to get more people in there. There's a bunch of other stuff uh, in here that you might already know about if you've been playing the game. But go and check it out anyway because it's a lot of good advice. Uh, the Diablo account tweeted a video. I believe it's a YouTube video. Yeah, it is. And it features Dioxide. And the video is called Seasonal Characters Gameplay Guides Episode 106 featuring Dioxide. And you can go see that if you want to know what he thinks about what you should do for the season or what he recommends. And 
The Blizzard ANZ wrote this, no skin, no fear. Has a skull, a horse's head, and another skull emoji right in a row. Track down and kill a treasure goblin for a chance at the rare decaying steed. Or explore the massive open world of Sanctuary for the spectral charger and dustback mounts. And there's pictures of each of these things, which is pretty neat. And I still don't have a mount. I just made it to Act 3. I mean, I guess I'll finish this off with that. I just made it to Act 3. Found Loreth. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. Started talking to all the townspeople with the exclamation points over their head. Finished one of those. And it seems like it's easier. Well, I know it's easier with the targeting thing that saves my hands from hurting too much when I'm done playing or having to stop because I hurt too much. But it's also an area I have never been in before. So it's making it feel new again after trying to figure out how am I going to build up in you know the, the first part and the second part. So I'm getting there. I'm trying. I'm playing a rogue. I thought for sure I'd be playing a barbarian the whole time, but I like the rogue better. So that's what I'm doing. And that's going to be where I end this show. You have been listening to episode 419 of the Shattered Soul Stone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our game, our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter uh, page as well as our Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. It is January, January. <laughs> let, me, let me read you that last piece, okay? Yeah, my brain is dyslexic. I can't help it.